Well, good morning. Have a seat, by all means. Excuse me. Uh, I need to make a couple announcements, and then we'll start our learning time. If you want to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, you can do that. Yeah, this is a pretty ugly tie. It's Father's Day. That's what we do at the Cassidy's. They make me wear an ugly tie. This tie uh, is a NASCAR tie. So can you see the NASCAR? Yeah. Going to go home and watch the NASCAR today. I don't watch NASCAR. What do I, <laughs> what do, I do with my hands? Um, I want to thank uh, Robert Morse for doing such a wonderful job last week, preaching on Proverbs. Awesome. So I was off in Atlanta getting trained again to do Walk Through the Bible. We have four people on our staff now that are trained to do the Old Testament walkthrough. And now I'm trained to do the New Testament walkthrough. 2020 is going to be the year of the Bible here at Grace. And we wanted to load up and prepare as many people as possible to do what we need to do to teach everyone kind of the big picture of the Bible. So we're pretty pumped on that. Uh, we're good to go. Uh, we're going to pray for camp. Camp, the kids' camp leaves today or tomorrow? Anyone? Tomorrow. Leads tomorrow. And I was talking to somebody. It was for uh, the teen camp as well. Something my son taught us one of his last years of camp. Parents, disposable clothes. <laughs> Find all those clothes in goodwill that you were going to give away or you want to give away. That You give those to the kids for camp and just tell them when they're done, they just throw them away. After, at the end of each day, no, no, Bobby, just throw them away. Even my underwear and socks, especially your underwear and socks. And so if your kids come home from camp and they have no clothes, that's a great thing, isn't it? That's a great thing. Anyway, if I had to do that whole season of life over again, nothing but old clothes, disposable clothes. Just come home with something and that's it. That's all. Just wear something home. That's free. Let's pray for those kids and those parents that are sending their children off to camp. That's a hard thing when they're young. Um, Lord Jesus, we lift up uh, our young children to you that are going off to this children's camp. And we ask that uh, you would bless uh, Robert and Brad and the whole team of adults that are going. We just love the, the service that those adults are giving to our young children. Lord, we'd ask that your spirit would meet them there, that they would uh, sense your presence in maybe their anxiety. Maybe in their homesickness, they would feel that they are always at home with you. Lord, give them a, a dire need to know you and enjoy you, a peace that can be enjoyed by experiencing the fullness of forgiveness that comes in the gospel. Lord, help uh, the parents behind trust you for, for the health and, and the souls of their young children. Lord, I'd ask that you bless this time together that we're having right now, that you would speak to us through your word the power of your parables, that we might have a whole different way of looking at life as a result of this one story. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the Monopoly world was stunned last November. The Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, you might have seen it, the final four. There was 45 minutes left to play, and Bruce Watkins looks around, smirks, and then gives away all his assets, divides it amongst three people, all his real estate, his hotels, the houses, all his money, just cashes out. Afterwards, you know, in the interview, they're like, what, what was that all about? He said, well, you know what? I realized it was, it's literally just a game. It's just monopoly money. And we're here for such a short time. And what's happened is, you know, in the tournaments, we, we end up touring around a lot together, and I'm starting to 
really get to like some of these people, and especially these final four. We always seem to end up in the final four, and I was looking around, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to use some of these resources to maybe make a friend. Turns out, spent Christmas with the runner-up this year. That was worth it. Gave him a little bit of Monopoly money, gave him a little card that said Park Place on it, and I've got a friend for life. Boom. That's not really what happened. It's just a story. It's a parable. It's a story that has a deeper meaning. That's the kind of thing Jesus taught. Jesus taught in parables. He taught in fables. He taught in stories. If you notice in the teachings of Jesus, contrary to a lot of teaching today, he taught not so much about how to. He taught about like life change in the way we think. He was going after our paradigm of life, our perspectives, our values, our worldview. He felt like if we can get our worldview right, those other things will take care of themselves. Here's Bob. Bob has a gallery. Bob's problem is that none of his paintings are hanging right uh, true. They're not hanging level. And today, a lot of people would say, Bob, here's how to work a level. Here's the problem. You need to make sure they're hanging right using this, this level. Jesus would come in and say, no, no, no. If we fix the crick in Bob's neck, then he can hang his own paintings and they'll be right. Jesus says, I want to see how you make sense out of life and why. I want to see what your values are and why. I want to see, you know, what you enjoy in life and why. Because if I can fix the crick in your neck and you see things the way they truly are, you can make the decisions all by yourself. Jesus is desperately trying to change our perspective on our position in life and our possessions in life. And he's going to do that in Luke chapter 16. Let me read you the story, or at least the first part of it. This is a very strange story, no, no doubt. Jesus tells his disciples, there was a rich man whose, man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now, the phrase there is important, wasting his possessions, is the same word used in the previous parable of the prodigal son, where the younger son wasted his property. That means he's spending it for the here and now. He's just blowing it on whatever feel good right this moment. That's what he did. So he called the manager in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your management because you cannot, man me, you cannot be my manager any longer. Now, the manager said to himself, oh, man, what shall I do? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. This is what I'll do. He says, I, before I lose, when I lose my job here, uh, I'll figure out a way that people will welcome me into their homes. So he called each one of the master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? Here's what's happening. This guy is about to be out of a job, and he has this desperate idea to try to fix his way so that, so that he could have a friend later on. He's going to call in the boss's IOUs, and he's going to give everyone a significant discount in what they owe. And because of that, when he's maybe like homeless, but certainly jobless later on, they'll say, wow, why don't you come in? And, and he's going to call in that favor. The point of the story, now to be clear, the point of the story is this, this shrewd manager don't, don't get caught up in the how to's. Look what's happening to the shrewd manager. He's changing his perspective on life. 
He's, he's, his whole life has been committed to the here and now, squandering his best possessions right here. Now he's finally thinking towards the future, okay? He's, not, he, now he's going from, you know, nearsighted to farsighted. He's talking about, he, he was living his life the here and now. Now he's like planning ahead for the future from short-term to long-term. That's what's happening. So in Luke chapter 16, verse 6, first client comes up. He goes, 800 gallons of olive oil. He says, okay, the manager told him, take your bill, you write this down, sit down quickly, make it for 400. Great, the next guy. Then ask the second person, how much do you owe? A uh, thousand bushels of wheat. Okay, he told him, take your bill, make it out to 800. Then he takes the books to the master. The master sees the handwriting, that it's the actual debtor's handwriting. And he, he didn't touch it, he didn't change the numbers. They did, and they know that it happened. And so the whole village is like, oh, my goodness, you know, the owner is, is being so generous with his wealth, and they've, they've kind of moved on. And so the, the, the owner is kind of stuck. The manager has put this owner in this very difficult situation. He has two choices. He can go into the village and say, okay, here's what happened. My manager, he's a corrupt liar, and what he did was illegal, and so I want all the money back. You can't have it. I'm sorry. It'll end up in court, that sort of thing. And people are like, I already bought a bass boat. This is on you. You're the bad guy. Or he could stay quiet and kind of live with the rascal that got him into this bind and enjoy his reputation as being generous. All the villagers think he's super generous because he cut the IOUs by a significant amount. He's already generous. This is the parable that follows the parable of the prodigal son, of the generous and forgiving father. He's already generous and forgiving. The, the manager, he could have easily been put in jail. He, could have, he and his family could have been sold to pay off those debts. He doesn't. And so the owner reacts this way. This is why it's a startling proverb or parable. He says, the master commended the dishonesty of the manager because he acted shrewdly. And here's why. Because he's thinking right. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light, the people in the church. I tell you this, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's, when it's gone, when everything's gone, it's going to be gone soon, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. One scholar summarized it this way. He says, look, this is fraud, but it's ingenious fraud. This guy's a rascal, but he's a wonderfully clever rascal. Jesus is saying, be shrewd. He's saying, be shrewd with your position and your possessions. He's saying, you're looking at life like this, and if you could look at it like this and see things long-term and look at things for, et for eternal, you're using temporal things for eternal consequences. That's where this man showed himself to be shrewd. This, this stuff that we have, our position in life, our possessions in life, they won't be here long. And two, they're not even ours. They're borrowed. Look what it says in verse 9. I tell you the truth. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's all gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. How does that happen? How do, how do, we, how do we get that? Here's, here's the lesson Jesus wants us to know. Look, you want to become like Christ in all of life? That's our motto, right? That's what it means to be a disciple. 
You're going to have to be way more than just good, way more than dedicated. Jesus says you're going to need to be shrewd. You want to become like Christ in all of life? You'll need to be shrewd. And, and what that means is, is taking the temporal and using it for eternal. And particularly in this passage, taking your position and your possessions and winning favor for an eternal greeting. Temporary stuff for eternal gain. Paul talks about this. He writes a thank you letter to the church of Philippi. Watch, why, watch how he's playing off of this in these, in these words here. Paul says, now I'm looking forward, now that I'm looking forward to the gift, all right, but, but I'm, looking, I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I'm sorry, I butchered that. Not that I'm looking forward to, uh, for a gift, but what I am looking forward to is what may be credited to your account. I can't wait to get the check in the mail from you, but that's not really what I'm really excited about. What I'm really excited about, Paul says, is what's going, that this is going to be credited to your eternal account. Paul is saying, look, by you investing in me and the missions that I'm doing, you're getting the reward for that. This is a team sport, and, and and, and I'm, Paul, I'm being involved in starting churches all over the Roman Empire. And I'm doing what you can't do, and you're doing what I can't do. You're providing resources. I can't fund it myself. And so we're all working together, and we're all going to be greeted in heaven by these Romans that have come to Christ because we're working together. Eternal, we're, 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 trading, we're trading temporal resources, monopoly money, for eternal hugs later on. We will be greeted in heaven by eternal beings, right, followers of Jesus Christ, that we help provide some small part in bringing them to Christ. Here at Grace, we have a long standing with local and global outreach, right? We have this, look at all the dots of people that we've been involved in in ministries for oh, 50 years. It is, it, is, it is really shrewd for you and I when we give to Grace, right? When we're looking at life, this is all my stuff. It's like, no, 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 look. We can give for temporal things for eternal things. We could be shrewd in what we do with our resources. When you give to grace, right, you're playing a part in these children going off to the children's camp. The students going off to to the camp in the student time, right, when when it's time for them to go. Most of, you know, here's a fun fun little tidbit. Uh, Our children's building, particularly the Live Oak building, the really pretty new one, most of the money that was given to that building was given by people that won't use that building. In other words, they don't have children that are that age. What does that say? That says there's a lot of people that attend this church that are shrewd. They're using their position and they're using their possessions to invest in the future so they might be greeted in eternity for that. But, you know, I'm just a pastor. You guys are the you're the ministers. And so, look, what, what if you were to take this, like, this paradigm that Jesus is talking about, not just to be good or dedicated, but to be shrewd in your neighborhood, in your neighborhood? You, use your position in your neighborhood and your possessions to, to show off your generosity. Be the person that has block parties and spend money on those block parties. Make it really fun. Make it even kind of extravagant. Make it a good thing. 
uh, I don't know, a couple decades ago. Here's a thing in my neighborhood that really bugs me. Is the kids coming door to door selling stuff? And it's not because, well, I'll just tell you. With the exception of the Girl Scouts selling those cookies, everybody else, they're selling junk, right? Anyone? Clap if you think they're selling junk. Okay, they're selling junk. Okay, so I don't like buying junk. And so, but a couple of years, two decades ago, I heard this sermon by a pastor, and I was like, I don't want to buy junk. Oh, wait a minute. He said, when anyone ever comes to his door, the answer is always yes. And I went, yeah, that's going to be my answer from now on. And so now we're shrewdly investing into the kingdom, and I'm buying candles and really bad candy and calendars and stupid stuff that I take from that person, and I usually throw away or give to someone else, re-gift it, right? But the whole point is this. I want every kid in my neighborhood to know I'm the easy win, right? That's not a bad thing. That's shrewd. That's using temporal monopoly money for eternal consequences and presenting a, right, uh, an attribute of generosity, a reputation of, oh, yeah, this guy, everybody knows Pastor Matt lives on this street, right? He lives in that house, but he buys anything. <laughs> He'll buy everything you want. Learn this. You want to become like Christ in all of life? You're going to need to be good, but more than that, you're going to be more than dedicated. You're going to need to be shrewd. The point of the story is this. God wants you to see all your possessions and your position like he sees them. You know what? He wants you to see these things like you're going to see them in a thousand years from now. In a thousand years from now, your head's going to be on straight, right? Just live this life like that life. Look, let's put it this way. Okay, Summertime. Let's pretend you go on vacation this summer, and this year you go to heaven. You go to heaven, and you stay there for a week. No, no, no. We did the deluxe package. You get to go there for two weeks, and in two weeks you're starting to like get. You're starting to take on the culture of heaven. You're starting to understand the language, the values, kind of the way things work there, and you start, you're starting to change, right, the way you see all of life. And let's just pretend the metaphor is, is literal, that the streets of heaven are paved in gold, literally, okay, literally paved in gold. It's everything that we have as asphalt is made out of chunks of gold and kept together with some kind of goo, right? And, and so when you come home on, you know, from your day out in heaven and you come to the house and your mom says, hey, don't bring that stuff in here. And so you're clapping your shoes together, trying to keep the asphalt from going inside the house. You're running and playing in the street, trip and fall. Man, got that gold in my palms. It's so hard to get that stuff. That hurts. You have a great week, two weeks. You have a great two weeks. But here's the thing. Gold is asphalt. Gold is asphalt in heaven. And after your two weeks and your head's finally on straight, you come back to earth and you're looking around. You're going, goodness gracious, people live and die for this asphalt. People get in fights for this. They lie and cheat and beg and borrow for this stuff. It's just gravel, man. Look at these families being torn apart, arguing who gets the most gravel at the end. Is this silly or not? It's foolish. And Jesus is saying, don't be foolish. Be shrewd. 
use the gravel, you know, use the asphalt. It's temporal, and you can use it for eternal rewards. Jesus is saying, look, 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 just think about it like asphalt. Gold is asphalt. Think about that. Look, I want to, and he says, there's three reasons, attributes of asphalt, or rather gold or possessions, whatever, three attributes that you need to keep in mind, because here's, here's what he really wants to, here's what he's really saying to us. He's saying, I want to trade up so bad in your life. I do. I, I, wanna, I want to trust you for so much more than gravel. The whole, phrase, the whole theme here is trust. God says, I want to trust you for so much more. Constant Jesus, always upgrading. And he says, look, this stuff, this stuff you guys spend so much time worrying about and caring about and living your lives around, if you could get your head right, I could give you so much more. Here's the problem with this. Here's the problem with gravel, I, asphalt, I'm sorry, gold, I mean possessions. Here's the problem. The first thing of three is it's just a little thing. Money is the little stuff. It really is. Look what he says. Whoever can be trusted in very little things, assets, right, can, can also be trusted in much. But whoever is dishonest in little things will also, will, will also be dishonest in much. Jesus says, oh, I want to trust you for so much more, but if I can't trust you with your own wealth and it's such a little thing, how could I trust you for, with eternal stuff? I'm going, to, I'm going to give you so much more in the context of responsibility, in the context of vision, purpose in life. But if you're going to be living and dying for asphalt and, and <laughs> you can't even be trusted with that, how can we upgrade? How can we upgrade? This is such a fixation in our lives that it has to be a... a a big issue of teaching in Jesus' teaching. One out of eight verses in the New Testament are about how we worship our stuff. One out of three parables that he talks about are stories told about our worldview is bent. And he's trying to, he's trying to, like, come on, one out of three parables. Come on. I want to give you so much more. I want you to, tr- I want to trust you with so much more. Jesus knows this. Not only is money, I don't know, just a little thing, especially in light of eternity, but it's a dirty thing. It's a dirty thing. It's a common thing is a good way of saying it. Verse, the next sentence, so he says, so if you've not been trust, there it is again, trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, other translations, unrighteous wealth, then who will trust you in true riches? Who will trust you in true riches? This unrighteous wealth, it just means um, it's, it's the, it's the par- proverb that actually makes it to the Bible as well. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It is this, it's this greed that causes so much injury, and that's, that's why it's, it's not in, intrinsically evil within itself. It just causes so much evil. And Jesus isn't saying swear off wealth. He's not saying take a vow of poverty. He's saying, look, just use it. Use, use dirty stuff for clean stuff. Use monopoly money to make friends. Use temporal things for eternal things. Think, think long game, not short. 
What's it going to matter in a thousand years or a hundred years from now? Jesus has been to heaven is the point, okay? (laughs) He knows where we're going to spend eternity. And he comes and he's telling us, no, no, wake up for this. Wake up. I want to trust you in so much more. I just, I just want you to see life so differently. Once you're free from this, you can just enjoy so much more life. I heard an interview with a, just a, as secular as the day is long businessman this last month, I guess two weeks ago. And he's famous for his involvement in the music industry, for you know, starting up companies, his insight, his wealth. And so here's the interview question. Uh, if you could have a billboard that could say whatever you wanted anywhere in the world or as many places in the world, what would it say? And here's what the man said. He's 40 years old. Again, I, I think he knows he has a soul, but he doesn't believe in God. Uh, and he says, I'd say this, money can't make you happy. And I, he said, what? He says, yeah, that's what I put on that billboard. Doesn't matter. And he says this, I'd love to train a million parrots to fly out and train them to do this. Money won't make you happy. Money won't make you happy. And just let them loose all over the world. God, God, God could solve a lot of our problems. That's what this very shrewd person, that was his answer to that question. He was shrewd. Asphalt, gravel, gold, possessions and positions. He says, Jesus says this, it's a little, these are little things. They could be big things. They're dirty things. They could be used for clean things. And then finally he says, they're borrowed, (laughs) not even ours. And if you'd been trusted, if, you, if you'd not been trust, there it is again, trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I, you know, I lent this stuff to you and you banged it up and turned it into some big deal and worshiped it. I, you, can't, you can't handle owning it. It all gets left behind. It all gets left behind, right? I mean, you've heard it. You hear this all the time. How much asphalt, or I'm sorry, how much wealth did Steve Jobs leave behind when he died? All of it. Yeah, yeah, you hear that? Right, all of it. Because you can't fill these caskets up with gravel, I mean gold. It doesn't matter. It paved the streets in this stuff. And so Jesus is saying you could use this little stuff, dirty stuff, borrowed stuff. You could use that shrewdly to get hugs in heaven. Here's what Jesus wants us to learn. You want to become like Christ in all of life? I bet you do. You're going to be, it's not just being good. It's not just being dedicated. It's being shrewd. One of the shrewdest investments I have seen around here was 10 years ago when someone that didn't go to our church bought us our church bus parked across the street 10 years ago. We blew up two buses on the way home from camp. They were needing to get blown up. And this person said, hey, I'll buy you a new bus. Bought us a brand new, right, turbo diesel, gorgeous, double air conditioned school bus, $52,000. Wow, that's a lot of bus for $52,000. For 10 years, it has taken youth to 10 camps and 10 retreats. It's taking our children to their summer camp. It has taken inner city kids all over the city and to their summer camps. It is the party bus for our church office when we have church office appreciation day for 10 years. We're probably going to get rid of the bus in the next uh, maybe even a few months. So who knows where that's going to go? Even more, even more. Some guys... (laughs) 
Can you imagine this guy's greeting in heaven? Ten years, people's lives change, are, are, are changed regularly at camp. And ten years ago, a 17-year-old is 27 now. This guy's going to be in heaven. He's going to get mobbed. He and his wife are like, what? Who are you people? You bought a bus for grace, remember? Yeah, yeah, what? I don't know. Sure, okay, I did. Stop hugging me. <laughs> that guy was shrewd. I'm telling you, he was shrewd. Give it away. Temporal stuff for eternal hugs. Jesus' last warning. This is his last summary shot. This is it. This is him trying as hard as he can to get our heads right. He says this, you be careful what you worship. You serve money or you let money serve heaven. Here's what he says, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. Gosh, isn't that an interesting, uh, what do you call it, anti-hero? God and money. Jesus knows the thing that cricks our neck the most is our possessions or our position. And Jesus says, boy, if you get this straight, you can hang all the pictures you want and they'll all be straight. Life is going to make sense when you get this one thing down. You know, I was thinking about this sermon and about grace. I was thinking we are a famously generous church. A lot of people at our church give regularly. They give generously. And if you don't, then that's, you know, that's a different, that's the, there, boom, there's your application. Get in the game, you know, give us, give some gravel away. But here, there's a lot of people that give generously and they give regularly. Here's what I'm suggesting. We give strategically. We give specifically. We start giving shrewdly, right? And here's what I'm talking about. We have a missions opportunity that comes right here every week. This is kind of our off-season, you know, early summer, and we don't have a lot of visitors. We have found out that we have a lot of visitors all year round, though, not in the off-season. We have smart people doing math in our office now, 700 to 1,200 people, adults, that we know of. Right? So you think, what about the ones we don't know of? 700 to 1,200 adults visit our church every year. Why would someone visit a church? I mean, why would someone who has no religious background and maybe anti-religious background find their way in our auditorium? Wow, that's a God thing. Or someone moving to Austin, trying to find a home and trying to find a church home. Or someone that's in Austin and they're needing a new church because of something that happened. Those are people where God is doing all the heavy lifting before they get to our campus. While they're driving here, God has gone ahead of and done circumstantial changes in their lives, relational input, having people pray for them, and they come to our place. I'm just telling you, like we talked about before, right, when we talked about the, the Good Samaritan, here's, here it is again. You are the minister in your neighborhood, and your neighborhood is in here as well. I'm just the pastor. You're the minister on your road in your area. And when you see someone new to your area, here's what I'm talking about. Like, be shrewd. Be praying for them, that person that comes in. Be looking for opportunities and do a newcomer lunch with them. And the best use of resources for newcomer lunch is this. You take them to lunch. You spend money on someone. Buy the candle. Buy the terrible candy. 
buy the calendar, buy whatever it takes, right? It's money well spent. And you take them to lunch and you try to find them some good Bible teaching church within, the, within you know, the city of Austin where they live or whatever and say, it's worth the drive. Let's make this thing happen. Could you sit with me? Could you sit with me? Because people, you can see them in the parking lot when they're coming, they're looking, they have this look on their face, someone be my neighbor, someone be my neighbor. When they're checking their kids in and they're about nervous, they're looking for someone to just say, look, I was new, yeah, or I've been here for a while, I can be your neighbor, you can sit with me, you can sit with me. How can I help you? Hey, you want to go get some lunch? That's shrewd use of money. And here's, I'm going to set, I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to tee this thing up. The smart people that do math in our office, they said this. We have visitors coming here way sooner than we thought in July. So now we're changing our calendars around for the next several years where we're going to start doing stuff in mid to late July instead of somewhere in August. One of the things we're doing, I'm teeing this up for you guys who want to do ministry, we're going to do Summerfest, this thing called Summerfest. We, we, we did it for a number of years, and then we took it away. We're bringing it back, and here's why. Because on July 21st, we already have 400, 500 people that are staying after because that's when the youth group goes to camp. And so the youth ministry has figured out nobody leaves campus till the buses are here, you know. So they feed four or 500 people anyway, the kids and their parents. So how about you? Here's what we want to do. Here's what we want you to do. We want all the communities to stay on campus because it's an all-church event. So all the communities, don't make plans, be here. That's your plan. All ministry leaders, whether re-engage, all the ministries, the courses that we have, mops, all that kind of stuff, all the ministries we have, we're thinking we're going to start having, that's when we begin our visitors' time, and we're going to want everyone to be on campus. And if you're a ministry leader, we're going to, like, identify you somehow. Some people said we could give everybody a T-shirt. I was thinking a face tattoo. We could do something so that people know that you're a person, so that you, while you're there on the 21st and all week long or whatever, or all season long, the visitor season long, you're doing your ministry and you're saying, I'm going to take you over here to these people that are doing re-engage or this community that would meet your needs, those sorts of things. Here's what we need you to do. You know, your heart determines what you see, and what you see determines what you do, right? So here's how to be a good Samaritan. Be in practice on how to care for people that visit our church, that God is bringing to our church. And then be like, this is game day is July 21st. You can start registering right now because this is not pizza under the trees. This is Summerfest, okay? This is real barbecue from uh, some barbecue place, Noble Pig, we're going to have music, we have water events for the kids and the bouncy houses, all kinds of fun stuff. There's a, there's a, not a big discount, but there's a discount if you register early before July 7th or on July 7th or before. Go on the website, go to the bar that says events, sign up for Summerfest, and that's game day for us, okay? That's how you be shrewd at Grace Covenant Church. Sigmund Freud told us really kind of strange, insightful, right, story about a man that was shipwrecked. And he he floated, he somehow was able to wash up on shore some little Pacific island. And when the natives captured him, instead of throwing him into a pot or a prison, their tradition was, we'll make you king. They make you king for a year. And you live in splendor. And then after a year, to the day that they find you, they banish you to a deserted island where you are all alone and you starve to death. Yeah, I think it's the idea of you can build a man up 
the higher you build them up, the harder they fall. When they, so that was the point. So he starts learning the language and figures out where his fate is, and he starts thinking long-term. And as king, he sent a crew of people over there to start plowing and planting and harvesting a future crop of his favorite food. Then he sends a bunch of guys, you know, in the village over there to build a big palace for him. Then he exports all his favorite people that are part of the, the natives there to that island. Year comes up, he is not banished to an island of suffering and ultimate death. He is living a life of luxury and fun with the people he enjoys. That's shrewd. If Jesus heard that story, he goes, yeah. Not by my favorite person, that's for sure. Maybe even not for the reasons that I would like, but that's a shrewd man. He saw the future and planned for it. You want to become like Christ in all of life? Yeah, you do. You're going to have to be more than just good, more than dedicated. Jesus says, you need to be shrewd. Use the temporal stuff, the dirty stuff. Just this gravel that doesn't even belong to us. Use the asphalt for future and eternal hugs. That's how to look at life. That's the point of that parable. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we... Maybe I would imagine there's some men and women in this room, boys and girls, that have an idolatrous view of money and wealth and position and power. And Lord, I'd ask that this parable would just wreck that. I'd ask that that would convict them, these words from you about the foolishness of enjoying things that are shallow and temporal would wash them anew and straighten their head. And Lord, those members of our church that, you know, they've come to the place where they get this, I'd ask that we would learn how to be more strategic in our application how we could serve and care for every new person that you have worked for eternity past to bring into this room, and we are missing it. And so, Lord, would you open our eyes so that we might be good Samaritans that are also generous, that we are shrewd, good Samaritans to the people you have brought into our neighborhoods, on our teams, in our workplace, and then we would see the work that you do around us, all the good works that you've provided for us to do before time. Open our eyes and our wallet that we would serve you for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.